You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello, and welcome to our next installment of the Mission Field USA podcast. I'm Reverend Pastor Steve Shave, Director of LCMS Church Planting. My co-host today is the Reverend Dr. Mark Larson. Welcome, Mark. Hello, Steve and everyone. Uh, Happy New Year to all the folks out there. We have a very important topic as we switched over from 2020 to now 2021 to talk about critical decisions that need to be made and how we can lead and navigate in times of crisis. So we are very excited to have with us today the Reverend David Fleming. He serves as the Executive Director for Spiritual Care at Doxology. He also serves as Associate Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Welcome, David. Well, thanks so much, Steve. What a joy to be with you and Mark. We're glad to have you. Thanks. Thanks. Very excited to have your insights. A very timely topic as we try to move forward now in the next year and talk about how much we've learned from 2020, uh, the difficulties that so many people have had and trying to make the right decisions. It seems like most church leaders uh, would have the scripture and verse to give to their pastor as to why they feel God would be leaning for one thing or another in the midst of calamities and crisis. But we're going to try to navigate this today and talk about the best way we can seek God's word to give us guidance in our decisions and how we work together as a congregation. And David, I, I can imagine, you know, for us pastors serving in a, a congregation in 2020, the challenges uh, that you've probably been dealing with your fellow pastors that are out there with doxology, but uh, you'd imagine a budding congregation. I mean, we're not talking about a strongly rooted church. This is a budding congregation facing some of the greatest ministry challenges that we've seen in many years. So we're excited to hear from you uh, how we can continue uh, to seek God's will how we as church planters can continue to move forward with God's mission in 2021 and how we can navigate, uh, especially during critical, challenging decisions that need to be made. So I think the first thing that we're going to touch on is just getting together, gathering, meeting, how we can continue to have enjoyable meetings, even in the midst of some of the calamities that we face, even in the year to come. So, David, what are some features that you can give to us about how to make these meetings work? Yeah, so I, I do really feel for mission planters right now and, and young congregations having chatted with several pastors in those situations. Um, and, you know, so you're setting a culture. What, what's going to be our culture here as we move forward with our group, particularly in this time where it's just difficult to get together anyway? Uh, but what we want to communicate most of all is that we're a, a group that that loves each other um, because Christ loves us, and we have this amazing commonality in our baptism into Jesus' death and resurrection that unites us as a family. So often in congregations, we have multiple opinions on all sorts of different things. And right now that's exacerbated by masks or no masks is, you know, how, how do you, how do you handle the coronavirus? And, you know, how do you handle distribution of the Lord's supper even, right? You, um, does the pastor have to be masked or not and so forth? Um, and so we, we need to 
we need to emphasize again and again, we're, we're a family together uh, that loves each other, cares for each other because Christ cares for us. And we understand our roles. Uh, there, we have different callings in life. There's our pastor, there's our uh, officers, there's our uh, uh, and, and there's laity, there's hearers of the word. Uh, and of course, all these roles are really important. We, we wouldn't want to say you can't have a congregation without members, and you also can't have a congregation without a pastor. We, we need each other, just like in your family, you need a father and mother and children and so forth to be a family. Uh, so we want to recognize that we do have these different responsibilities and kind of stay within our lane, if you will, um, in, in each of those areas. And, and then I think a, a, a major factor, Satan is an idealist. He wants us to think of the church the way it really ought to be. Um, and it's, you know, so we've got this beautiful church where everybody gets along all the time and, and we're growing by leaps and bounds and we're caring for all different manner of people and different crises and things. And we're just outstanding at all of it. The pastor's the best preacher ever and teacher. And, um, and you know, we sing always on key and <laughs> the guitars are always tuned and <laughs> whatever else. And, you know, it's, you know, the real, the real church is, well, kind of a disaster area, much like our families, right? Our families aren't exactly perfect, uh, yet somehow we got to bottle through, and and we need to recognize how how being a a real congregation is actually most important of all to be a real community where we let down the masks and we're honest about who we are and you know, our strengths and weaknesses and so forth. I, I remember one time I had uh, oh, a famous theologian here at our church. We we're going to uh, have a baptism at the beginning of the service and everything was going wrong. The couple was late. The baby soiled the diaper just before the service was going to start. The acolytes got his robe on wrong. <laughs> and I mean, everything's going wrong. I turned to this guy and I say, ah, you know, sorry, this is such a zoo. And he just said to me, Dave, it's real. And it's all I needed to hear. It's, this is, look, this baby is really going to die and rise with Christ at baptism. And that's how our congregations are. They're real. It's okay. It's okay that there's things that are challenging and that don't always work out the way we'd like. And uh, to recognize that's the kind of community we're in. And it's always been that way. Read the book of Acts. The church has always been kind of a mess. It's okay. <laughs> Very good. And, you know, like you said, 2020, I don't think there's an end to some of this uh, turmoil in terms of how polarizing things have been, whether it's in the political spectrum uh, or otherwise. And as you said, too, uh, social media can be a great tool, even a tool for uh, serving us with the gospel. But at the same time, it can also be used for uh, constant attacks, uh, even against one another. And I think it's important, as you said, that you know, who, who is it that we're in this battle with? And it's not flesh and blood. So, David, how do we recognize then who, who is the enemy and who isn't in all of this? <laughs> yeah, this is this is the constant challenge, isn't it? it? It's a challenge for me every day of my life, right, to to recognize who the real enemy is here and who isn't. And it's so easy for us with, uh, well, the all the political ads we went through. 
um, with all of the rage that you see in social media and in in the public, to think that some other flesh and blood human being is my enemy, and that's just not true. Um, now, admittedly, you might have a, a neighbor who's a combatant in warfare, and you do have to shoot that person to defend your own. Uh, but but in our congregations, our the enemy is the evil one. We're our enemies are not, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's who our fight's with. And so it's easy to get distracted from that and think that my fight is with the member who has a different opinion on these myriad different things we have different opinions about now. Uh, and uh, and indeed, I, I would love to say that uh, the congregation I serve doesn't have any trouble this way. We do. I, uh, we've got people of all sorts of different opinions on these matters. And happily, most of what I've been able to see is people still getting along with each other and loving each other. I know a couple that vehemently disagree on political matters, and yet they're like very dear close friends who keep in touch with each other. That's you know, and share the gospel of Jesus to each other. But what a what a beautiful thing! Um, now there are going to be times where people do sin against us and really hurt us, and anger shows up when this happens. Anger's kind of if uh, I think Jack, Dr. John Kleinig put it this way that anger is sort of the the flip side of love. You can tell what you love by what you get angry about. Um, so I get angry about abortion because I love babies and I love human life. Uh, and you know that's kind of a good thing to get angry about that. Um, however, uh, the problem with anger is most of the time our anger is about our own ego because we love ourselves uh, or that we hold on to that anger instead of letting it motivate us to do something good, to say what needs to be said in a you know, winsome way, uh, but we hold on to it instead. And St. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 to, to be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That word for opportunity is a foothold. Um, anger, holding on to our anger, gives Satan a chance to get in there and stir up dissension and trouble. We've We've seen that in marriages and relationships. It happens in congregations. It happens in synods. It breaks my heart that we <laughs> divide up and you know yell at each other like we're and 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 kind of feed the rage that our society has all the time these days. We have a raging society. We think that anger is the thing to keep stoked up, and that'll motivate people. And it's a good short-term motivator. But it's not a long-term thing, and it doesn't build community. It destroys. And that's what Satan wants to do, to destroy, to divide, to tear everything down. And that's what holding on to our anger does. So we got to remember our enemy is him. And so by forgiving and letting our Lord forgive us and letting our Lord cleanse us from the shame of being sinned against, uh, we can let these things go and move forward. Very good. And I know even in my own church planning scenario, I could not have asked for a more unified group. We spent a lot of time. It's what we use in our resources, even on how to build your core group around unity. 
to kind of have a shared vision and understanding of your purpose in this place as you go about God's mission. But as you said, even with the you know best of groups, uh, it's not like the devil is just going to look at all the great work you're doing, the mercy that you're showing to your neighbor and the love that you're showing. And to see you bond together and become this family of God, it's, it's not as if he would just sit back and say, you're doing a wonderful job, you know, keep up the great work. He, he will find his way to try to, to make his way in and to cause, cause division. And uh, you bring up a very good point that it's, it's unavoidable, but um, we, are, we are healed together uh, and bonded together in Christ so much so that Jesus even says, you know, it, it's not going to be that everybody is of the same political party. Uh, everybody is of the same ethnic makeup. The world will know that this is truly the kingdom of the Prince of Peace because so many different people from different backgrounds uh, come together as the body of Christ, so much so that they become the, the one cup, uh, that they become the one body. And people in the world recognize that in an age of constant division. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I think it's important for us to understand that doesn't mean um, that you know, absolutely anything can go for the sake of unity that there do, you know, um, also need to be some non-negotiables. Uh, again, those should come from God. Uh, those are those things that, uh, you know, we, we seek God's wisdom and his will. Uh, so, David, talk a little bit about that. What are what are the things we should be looking out for, though, that are the non-negotiables? Yeah, great, great question, Steve. The, so, uh, what holds us together is the command of our Lord, his gifts to us in his word and sacraments. That's what draws us together. And, and when he sent us out to uh, make disciples of all nations, he told us to baptize and he told us what name to use for that. And the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which is non-negotiable. I mean, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how he reveals himself to us. We don't get to change that. Um there was a, a woman pastor in Grand Rap or in uh, Warrenville, my previous uh, place where I served years ago, um, who was already back then. This was I don't know thirty years ago, uh, beginning in the name of the the Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier to avoid Father and Son. Uh, and no, <laughs> that's that, that's not allowed. Uh, I mean, maybe if we're just casually calling God Creator. Uh, 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 Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier in some discussion, but to avoid, purposely avoid using God's name as he's revealed himself. No, we don't get to do that. We don't get to define God. He defines himself to us. And then, of course, after giving that command to baptize, he says also, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, which that's the standard is all things, not even 95% of, of what Jesus has given us. So in our day, um, there's usually we either fault on the side of love at the expense of truth or truth at the expense of love. And both of those are wrong. Uh, we need the truth spoken in love, uh, which love takes time. Love is patient. It's listens well, but, but it also knows what the truth is, and it is not going to give up that truth. And in 
well, this is the big challenge, right? To, to remain faithful to what our Lord's given us while not being kind of a jerk about it, if you will. Um, I, I remember a, a great uh, old funny little skit about uh, a, a pastor who says, you know, we believe in the incarnation and the sacramental presence and the love of God for us, even if we're angry about it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, what we get such joy in this, in these these non-negotiable things, which our Lord has chosen to give us so that we have life and salvation in his name. And these things are real and they're not going to change. And so we we receive them from him as they are, gifts to us that deliver all that we need for life and salvation now and forever. So we, we never want to... Uh, uh, give up truth for love or love for truth, uh, nor would we want to give up uh, mission for faithfulness or faithfulness for mission. They, they all go hand in hand. They have to, um, or you've, we're missing the point. Um, so there's, and I think also a, a kind of tough area in this regard in our, in American society is the idea that there are offices that have particular authority among us. Uh, when I was growing up, there was sort of a rebellion against all authority. I'm 60 now. So uh, there, in the late 60s, early 70s, there was sort of a rebellion against all authority. And in a way, that sort of stuck around. Uh, the pastoral office was established by God, not for pastors to be dictators or uh, to be about themselves, but to be servants of Christ who are, they're working for Christ, but they're working for Christ for the purpose of delivering his gifts to, to us, to, to the congregation. Uh, and we really need that. We really need the deliverance of Christ's gifts. And we need to recognize that our pastors are working for the Lord and not for the congregation and so there's a respect the scriptures call for toward the pastoral office and those in it um, so that we don't uh, oh, disrespect them or refuse to listen uh, or uh, rebel against them. Uh, but if the pastor says something wrong, which this pastor certainly has in his life, uh, I love it when lay people have taken me aside and said, Pastor, can you show me where you get that idea from Scripture? And if I can't, I repent and uh, correct my uh, teaching. And I, I love that when that happens. Um, but that's the place for disagreement first. If If the pastor's hardened in it, well, then we can then we need to move on to some other ways to deal with that, bring in some brother pastors to correct them and so forth. But uh, but most of the time, the little kind of squabbles we get into are because we're not respecting that this there's this order to it, that the pastor does have this responsibility to deliver our Lord's gifts fully and completely and solidly to us. And so he he needs to carry that work out with joy, not not as a, a burden among us. Very good. And as you're saying, speak the truth and love, I think that can be what we do is try to really lean towards one side or the other that causes that kind of disagreement and division. So how do you bring it back to actually studying God's word? How would you suggest we then do our due diligence and research on the matter? 
Yeah. So, so a lot of the decisions I think we make as congregations are, are, are you know, we know, we know what the scripture is telling us, but how you're going to enact that in this particular case, how, what, you know, what time is the church service going to be, or are, how are, are, are we going to do this, um, this, uh, food bank or clothing bank or this, uh, uh, how are we going to do this community outreach here? These are all kind of, in a sense, questions of adiaphora, things neither commanded nor forbidden by scripture. So we have a lot of freedom there. And freedom can be kind of frightening because then uh, you don't know exactly what's right or wrong. So then you have the work of gathering as much information as you can before you make a decision to, to think through it carefully, uh, deliberately. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, well, Proverbs tells us over and over and over and over again, when you're, when you're going to make a decision, uh, speak to wise counselors, uh, collaborating with people that you respect who have uh, proven wisdom uh, is a, a good course of action. I, we, we have such a resource in our for our congregations in the Missouri Center, we have such a resource in our circuit structure with our circuit visitors and other pastors and area congregations, and with our district presidents, who are just remarkable men, who uh, you know take seriously this care for pastors and congregations, and they they want every pastor and congregation in their districts to succeed. Um, I've I've been with these men; they're. Uh, they're, they're a real gift to us. And I, I remember uh, years ago talking to a, a, well, a couple different district presidents that, you know, there might've been some issues I disagreed with them on or whatever, but by seeking out their wisdom on various decisions, uh, they, they were incredibly helpful. Uh, and I think there's a, well, it's wise to be humble as we're approaching decisions, not thinking that we know everything about everything. So we're, we ask people, get their opinions uh, so that we can draw on, on their experience and wisdom to assist us in thinking through these things. Um, and of course, having open discussion within our congregation among people uh, that are uh, gifted in this area or have thoughts about it. Um, and always doing this in a in a kind, respectful way. Um, you know, people of goodwill of the Christ of, of a com the common Christian faith uh, within our circles, we're, we're going to disagree on some of these things. That's always going to happen. Uh, this happens in your own family, right? Where do you want to go out for dinner? In our family, we're, my wife and I are both youngest, so we can never make a decision. <laughs> but, but in other families, they get the two oldest, they get the strong opinions. And well, uh, what do you do then? Uh, well, you, uh, you, I, it, it's great to show humility to each other and to recognize, let's not let this divide us because we happen to disagree about something that really isn't that important in the final analysis, right? It's, um, it, uh, and I know enough from working in speech communication, my major in college, that we do make better decisions in groups of people than we do individually. Uh, and so to get a committee together of people 
uh, while committees get maligned all the time as being uh, bad for decision making, um, to have those ideas uh, kind of hammered out together in a really open forum before you try to carry them out and then analyze how it's going as you go through it. Uh, this is this is how successful things, uh, successful organizations operate. They don't operate by mere fiat, by um, some dictator or whatever. Uh, they uh, There's a lot of discussion and ongoing evaluation of how this this work is going. Very good. And as you said, though, so many times these things can devolve quickly, especially yeah. in terms of name calling, you know, you can have the discussion, but if you still don't agree with me and my position, um, you're Hitler or you're the devil. It's just uh, becoming all too common that there's just really no respect shown to someone um, simply because they don't agree. And even if they are wrong, um, I don't I don't think that that gives us the right then to to really label people name call um, to, to show such disrespect to our Christian brothers and sisters. So how do you suggest we continue even try to working again through truth and love uh, to show people um, that maybe they are erring, um, but still do it in a respectful way? Yeah, so I, I, I think we look at the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? That here, here what's God's answer to man's total rebellion against him? Uh, he sends his son in our human flesh, at, and he's the word of God from eternity who created all things by his word, by, by speaking. And what's he do? What's he first do? He shows up as a baby who can't talk, I, which is, I mean, that's the last thing I would choose if, if I were picking. I, I would not pick to be unable to speak for a year. Um, I, I would want to start yelling right away, I think. But... And so what we see there in the coming of our Lord Jesus in that way is really a living out of Proverbs 15, verse 1, that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, right? I mean, this is the softest answer you can have, a vulnerable little baby who, uh, you know, what could he do? Uh, and it's very hard to be angry around babies, right? They, they sort of uh, cause us all to smile and calm down and um, they draw everybody's attention. So in our, in our talking with people when they're getting upset, uh, we want to follow this wisdom from Scripture and from the life of our Lord that uh, there are some occasions where Jesus gets angry, no doubt, but those are when he's defending other people, right? So he's defending the Gentiles when he clears the temple court because they're they're clogging up the area for us Gentiles to be able to pray at the temple. So he doesn't want that. Uh, and then uh, the other time he gets angry is when they're bringing little children to him and uh, the disciples think he shouldn't be bothered with little children. And, uh and, and he gets indignant about that. Let the little children come to me. But mostly Jesus does not show anger. It, and admittedly against those who are completely committed to rejecting what he's saying, he does speak the truth in a strong way. But even there, he's still talking to them and he actually listens to them and engages them. And why does he do that? Why does he sit at the table where they're 
insulting him by the way they set everything up because he actually loves them and cares for them and, and wants his word to get to them and reach them too. So when things get heated up, I think it's helpful for us to look at what our, how our Lord handled these things and to uh, uh, calm down, take a deep breath, uh, lower uh, the volume of our voice, lower the tone of our voice, you know, go for a lower uh, note, more FM radio voice or whatever. Uh, and, uh, and recognize what, what you have in common with this person that's getting really upset. Uh, and maybe even for a moment, go back, well, what do we have in common here? What, what's our goal? Uh, at, but obviously this name calling and raging, ugh, it is, uh, it's everywhere in a society right now. I, it, it's no surprise that it comes into the church. It's coming from outside the church, if you will, well, in our sinful nature, but it's becoming part of our common society. And so it's creeping in even to our meetings and so forth. And uh, we we want to follow Paul's advice, like, oh, I don't know, in Colossians 3, uh, that, well, what's he say there? Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against a brother, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Um, so we, we want to be thankful for the gift of the other person in the conversation with us. Uh, we want to hold on to the truth. We're not giving that up, but we can be patient about it. The, the true church is never really in a hurry, right? God's God's got this. We don't have to be in a panic or a hurry. So we could take our time to uh, let someone express disagreement with us and hear it out um, and and do it respectfully and with humility and, and seek to, to come to agreement. There's going to be times where we continue to disagree, but that's all right. We could disagree in love. Uh, you know, I mean, not everyone's a Green Bay Packer fan, shamefully, but uh, they ought to be. And uh, I still love these people anyway. I heard last night. <laughs> are you a Bears fan? Uh, my parents are both from Illinois, so. <laughs> oh, well, I, I really feel for you, dear brother, but you should repent and become a Packer oh, fan. So lifelong Packer fan. here. Amen. Well, and I think what you're saying, too, is very good because in church planting, there this is organizational behavior. Uh, there's the forming, storming, and norming. Uh, and even in more difficult times, the forming, storming is going to be even more noted. And I think there are some biblical uh, things that we can look at and also practical things that we can look at. Just if we could tap into your communication uh, expertise, walk through some of the biblical and technical ways that we can be intentional about how we communicate. Yeah, so I I, uh, I I did a study. Uh, one of the benefits of COVID time was uh, I 
did a, a video study of the Acts of the Apostles, you know, a chapter a week. I've never been that disciplined to, get, to, get, to cover a certain amount of material every week. I always get interrupted too much. And, uh, as I went through Acts, it just struck me chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter that this is, this is a real history of a real church, not an ideal church, right? And there's kerfuffles left and right going on. And in in the midst of this, they keep their heads about them, even though they do strongly disagree on some things. So I think a, a beautiful example of how to handle disagreement within a congregation and then on a critical decision and, and come together in handling it is Acts chapter 15, where they're having a debate about how to receive the Gentiles into the Christian church. There's the Judaizers who's, who are arguing that you've got to get everybody circumcised. They got to become Jewish first before they can become Christian. And then you have sort of Paul and Barnabas uh, arguing the other side that um, that is not what's required. Those things are not binding on us anymore. All of that has, all those things pointed to Christ and he fulfilled it all. So we're all counted as fully the new Israel through Jesus, right? Through baptism into Jesus. But so they, they, they openly air this matter out. Um, they, they don't, they let all sides in this matter speak. Um, they listen to the other side. They don't interrupt, <laughs> which is sort of a, the normal thing today. Everybody interrupts everybody. Um, and, uh, and they lay out their their positions, uh, and then they uh, uh, well, they're they're amazingly transparent about it, right? So Luke writes down this account of what the positions were and who held what positions, and by being transparent about it, by by putting it out there in the open, by writing it down, even. Uh, you're taking away the possibility for misunderstanding or rumors uh, or uh, false ideas being spread all over the place, gossip and so forth. It, I, I, Steve, I've noticed lately, I don't know if, if this is your perception as well, that uh, there's such a distrust right now of, I think, probably the media. And I think they've probably earned that distrust. If you ask me, I, I like Molly Hemingway. I think she makes that point <laughs> repeatedly that that now we kind of think of conspiracy theories all over the place. And there's and so we it's hard to get anybody to believe any truth about anything. So the more transparent we can be about the facts and be be frank about them, be, you know, say what's what would be good about this option, what's bad about it, you know, be really open. The more transparent, the better. Um, and I think with big decisions, establish like a timeline. How are we going to make, what's the process going to be for this decision? What's our timeline on it? How are we going to uh, make this happen so that nobody's surprised? No, you know, kind of last minute meeting where we're going to decide everything when, you know, some key people aren't there. Um, you know, that's not only is that not fair, but it's not conducive to building uh, a collegiality, a trust among this body of believers. Um, and of course, we're going to listen carefully and respectfully to all sides as we negotiate these uh, matters. 
Uh, we're going to write things down as much as possible so we can, and even maybe listing what the choices are and what rationale would be for each of those possible choices. The more intentional we can be about this, the more thoughtful, the more we kind of put passion to the side and uncontrolled emotion and can look at this carefully and reasonably together. We're, we're to be a reasonable people. And then uh, when we've made a decision, then communicate uh, uh, that decision. So you see this in Acts chapter 15, right? So they, uh, after they've, they've gone through this and uh, Paul and Barnabas talk about all the amazing stuff that's happened among the Gentiles, for which was just great. Then the apostles make a decision uh, and they write a letter which they're going to then send, and they're going to send it by other people so that it's clear this isn't like Paul making something up, right? They're, they're going to send some others along so that this decision is communicated across the church and everybody can hear it. Um, and so that it was, well, the, the mistake sometimes we make in congregations is we, we'll make a decision and then just sort of think by making decision, people know it, uh, and they don't. So uh, I, I had the, I don't know, you probably had this humbling thing happen to you guys when you're preaching. I uh, got finished with a service on uh, December 27th. We were celebrating St. John Day, and I said to one of our laymen named John, I said, well, so was it kind of embarrassing that we were celebrating St. John Day today, John? And he said, oh, it was St. John's Day. Uh, um, oops. You know, whoops. Um, <laughs> so, you know, sometimes we think we're communicating better than we are. So to be more, uh, to communicate these decisions in multiple forums, multiple times, you kind of can't over communicate is sort of the point. You, you want to, uh, and also you want to reach out to the people who's, old position wasn't chosen or, you know, in the world's way of talking about the people that lost or whatever. So you dear bear fans, we still want you in the church and, uh, you know, we, we love you. And right. it's good to have a conversation with a bear fan the day after the Packers slaughtered them. Oh, nice. yeah. Yeah. I still remember 1985, but that's a long time ago. <laughs> I remember that too, actually. I, the Packers were awful for so long and I've, I've lived through all of that. So yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> Very good. Well, um, Dr. Larson, um, haven't heard from you yet today. Kind of curious, uh, 2020, any lessons learned that you have for our church planners and core groups out there moving forward and mission in 2021? Well, it's a pretty broad question, Steve, but um, certainly there was a lot to be learning. And uh, I always kind of like the Facebook meme that uh, it was a Star Trek one. And I and uh, Bone says to McCoy, you know, I'm, I'm a doctor, not a video editor. So that's kind of, I think, probably how a lot of pastors feel, you know, that they had, had learned a lot of new skills. And uh, in my congregation, I feel pretty blessed that um, we didn't argue about face masks. We uh we, I think we did communicate, not to say that there weren't issues. We did new things in new ways. And that when whoever you do that, that stirs up um, disagree, possible disagreements. But 
God be praised, I think we moved along, our congregation moved along pretty well, but I know that it has been a challenge for a lot of congregations. And um, maybe David, I don't know if you've heard of any more particular issues that uh, congregations have struggled with as they've had to make all these changes for the pandemic. Sure. I've heard lots of stories. Yeah, I'm um, sure. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it it's the oddest little things that trip up different congregations. So you, and no matter what line you take on uh, uh, COVID protocols and so forth, there's, there's somebody that thinks you're not being, you're not drawing the line, you know, strong enough or, you know, it's safe enough or, and then no matter how kind of open you are, there's those that'll say you're being way too, uh, way too restrictive. Uh, and, you know, to me, the strikes, it, I mean, that I think everybody who's parented uh, knows that you and your beloved hardly ever agree on exactly where, uh, you know, the, the, how chores are going to get done or whatever with the kids. Right. So we got, yet you got to kind of negotiate these things out. Uh, we're, these are all kind of continuum issues, right? So we uh, we have to work through it. I what's been I think probably the most disquieting thing to me has been when uh, brother pastors uh, speak a little too openly and publicly with their opinion on what's and the, and they'll use the word right or wrong on these things. Uh, and what what I don't think they're recognizing is that there are lay people from another pastor's congregation who are hearing that, and then they bring that back to their pastor. So I, um, you know, I heard some horrendous stories where you know somebody makes the point that it's impossible for a pastor ever to wear a mask; it's just sinful and wrong. And I don't know where they get that from. But then that messes up another pastor's congregation in a community where they have to wear masks all the time. Right. That's required by the government. So, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Happily here, we, we've been all right. You know, I mean, it's uh, I, I do love there's a pastor in, uh, uh, well, in, in the Midwest who has had some members who have had to stay away from church because of other responsibilities they have. Um, they uh, run a adult care facility. And I, I just love that this pastor wrote letters to these members saying, you know, honestly, I'm afraid you're not coming back. If I, you know, I'm being honest about my fear, but I'm guessing you probably are afraid that we've forgotten about you, but we haven't. We love you. And we understand that we're praying for you and any way we could help, let us know. And I, that kind of sort of compassionate, loving care for each other goes a long way when we're in a strange time like this. And I don't think in these strange times, uh, you know, we can pinpoint one thing or the other. There just been so many things that seem to divide us, you know, especially in our major cities across the country. And, you know, one of the things I was hoping you could just kind of close it out with, David, is just being realistic about the days that we're living in. These are dark and latter days. And Satan is trying to divide us across any kind of dividing line that there is. But how do we continue to be realistic about that, the fight that we continue to face, but just to be thankful? There's a reason why God has made you either the church planter or part of a core group to reach out in new mission work uh, in a divided time. How do we continue to focus our attention on 
why God has put us in this place at that time and, and to even be thankful that we've been called to do this. Yeah, well, I think we need to, to take a look at uh, Revelation chapter 12, where uh, the dragon goes after the woman who is Mary, who is also the church, trying to devour her child, which is Jesus, who is Jesus. Uh, that, of course, he, he ascends and then he goes after the woman. The dragon does, Satan does, goes after the woman. And then there's that amazing, well, insightful passage Um at the end of that chapter, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That would be us uh, Christians on and listen to this description on those who keep the commandments of God. That word is to uh, a tarot that is to hold on to the commandments of God. So we 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 don't perfectly live by them, but we they are the standard we are judged again, so we repent, but we keep we we don't water down the standard, right? So we we keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Um, if if we didn't keep the commandments of God and if we didn't hold to the testimony of Jesus, Satan could care less about us. Uh, he'd be happy to let us go, um, but if if we didn't hold the commandments of God and if we didn't hold the testimony of Jesus, that he is the incarnate son of God come to save us and forgive our sins and, and deliver us out of this mess to eternal life, but also to be with us right here in the midst of all this chaos and calamity. Um, well, if we just gave those things up, well, then we'd have no reason to be in existence anyway. So, the reason that the fight is happening, the reason that there's a persecution of the church going on around the world and why there is uh, oh difficulties within congregations and all that is because what we're about is actually the most important thing on the face of the earth. Uh, the deliverance, the enactment, the, the uh, giving out of the saving work of Christ, of bringing people to meet Jesus and having Jesus care for them and their souls to cure them with his forgiveness, to touch them with his body and blood, to plunge them into his death and resurrection and baptism. I mean, this is the most important thing happening on the earth. And just like the cross of Jesus was the most important thing happening on the earth on Good Friday, it, the church's work kind of, in a way, looks like nothing. To the world's point of view, there's no, I don't, I haven't noticed large uh, media attention drawn that we're having services, you know, they're not, uh, uh, but, but that's precisely because the kingdom of God is always kind of hidden and small and, and yet the real power is happening right there. And I love Paul's point at the end of the resurrection chapter, first Corinthians 15, uh, so all of this, uh, the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is real without a doubt that and he, uh, his body rose from the dead and our bodies are going to rise too. These bodies we have, they're going to be made new in the resurrection to come. And 
So death has been swallowed up. It's been defeated. And what does that mean about you and your work at your congregations and your missions and, and uh, the reaching of souls? Well, my beloved brothers, Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding at the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I don't know about you guys. There's been a lot of days as a pastor where I thought my work was in vain, uh, where it just didn't seem like it was getting anywhere. Um, but I, I have to trust what the Lord says in his word, that it is not in vain. It's never been in vain. And, and this, is, this is why you're doing what you're doing, Steve and Mark. Um, that's why all those who are listening here are doing the work they're given to do in the church because this is not invaded, is delivering the death, resurrection, life of Jesus Christ to dying sinners who absolutely need Jesus as much as we do. And uh, thanks be to God, he, he doesn't forget us. He comes to us again and again and again in his peace and forgiveness and joy. Amen. And you bring up a great, wonderful closing point that all through Scripture, you see even in the worst of times, how God continues to move and to grow to send his people out forth into the dark world around them to bring the light. And the same is true today. Mark and I just finished a, a big study on church planning and looked at some of the history. And it's just amazing to see in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, whether it was the Depression, the Spanish flu, world wars, we continually see God's mission going forth, people being reached with the gospel, new people groups, new places, new mission work. Um, so much so that, you know, by the 1950s, after all these calamities, you see God uh, working uh, through his church to reach a group of people that are, are grieving and suffering and they need that hope. And, you know, as well as anybody, David, through your work in doxology and the times that we live in today, um, that there is a tsunami of people with anxiety and grief. And we've got the good news uh, to bring to them. And that's why this is so critical that we continue in God's mission work. And just want to thank you so much for your insights and your time today, David. And as always, thank you, Mark, for being with us. I uh, appreciate your time. And just another word of encouragement to everybody that God has set us forth at this time and this place to do his work. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.